Welcome, everybody, to the Funkadot Podcast. This is your host, Saab Grover. I'm here with Umer today, and uh, we have a very special episode for everybody. We put out a request on Instagram for people to submit questions to us for a mailbag podcast, and we actually got a lot of response, which we're really happy about. Uh, it's awesome to see everyone's curiosity, and we really appreciate the quality of the questions and the thoroughness that a lot of people filled out these questions with. Uh, so we got so many requests that we actually are splitting this up into two episodes, right, Umer? So we're going to first be doing episode one. We'll be answering a select uh, set of questions, and then uh, you'll be hearing episode two later on, where we are completing a, the rest of the questions and making sure we can get responses back to all of you. So, Umer, um, let's just go ahead and actually just start this off. Uh, let's start this mailbag off. Um, <laughs> let's start. <laughs> you want to? All right, all right, all right. So, question number one is from Ishan Toteja. And, um, Saab, why did you break the light bulb? I, at I don't know what you guys are talking about. I didn't break any light bulbs. I, I mean, are you guys talking about like the Pangra move? Like you screw the light bulb? But no, I did shut not. Up, man. Look, 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 look. I didn't break any light bulbs at ECS. Okay, ECS committee, you know, out there. I didn't break any light bulbs. I'm gonna deny it to this day. There's no evidence of it, even though there might be, but there's no evidence of it. So I'm going. I never broke any light bulbs. I maybe did a nice little, you know. Step on stage, I mean, that's what they're talking about. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are talking about, about this, uh, me breaking light bulbs. I, did, I don't know what you guys are, you guys are hallucinating or something, man. Oh, uh, the video is so funny, man. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. So now let's get into our first serious question. So right. our first yeah, serious yeah. question right. is from Prabhnur Bhatti, uh, who is on for the list. So we're going to be naming the people, just to give you guys a format, we're going to be naming the people who submitted the question and what team they're on if they provided that information. So, uh, Brubner's question is, why do you think BTF is dead? Nah, yo, BTF is dead because of a bunch of trolls get on. Alright, honestly. like, And that and just the rise of Facebook. Nobody's really on it. BTF started when, like, there wasn't really a Facebook that was super active. And honestly, ever since Facebook started becoming a more popular pa- platform, BTF started dying. But on top of that, dude, it's just like everybody's a dick with BTF. Like, it's just a bunch of old people who are like over 28, 29 years old, just like shitting on other younger kids that are just trying to ask questions. Like, yo, Mama Jama, Lil Jut, all of you're hilarious, but at the same time, dog, like, <laughs> what, what sealed the deal for me was like, there was this last post on BTF was like, yo, can we use this site more? Because Sa posted on DDN with the whole like, season review thing and then <laughs> it was just a two trolls just like talking to each other the entire time i was like all right besides fucking, like other than you it's and then really hard yeah to... and then also people <laughs> think i'm a troll on btf because my picture is a bunch of penguins i don't know why but i'm pretty serious on it okay but uh i, I remember that for me so the last time that btf was very very active for me was bird 2017 when um you know there's a lot of comments like you know a lot of stuff being spit out at each other um, between a couple teams. You know what I'm talking about, Umer. Um, if you guys really want to look at it, yeah. you can go Bird 2017 and look at the look at the it's, it's read Sob's response. It's actually at, great. Um, <laughs> you can read the you can read the Fukuleberg <laughs> and the AEGberg, and you can actually see like what old BTF mm. used to be like, where people would just like go at each other with no restraint. Um, I mean, it was fun. It was. But that doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, the other oh, and the other time that it was really active was on when MBT posted their audition video about that blowout. That was that a big was a thing big, too. But then thing, since sure. then, that was if you think yeah. about that, that's two years ago. Yeah, that was like, 2018. Yeah, and the birth it's like thing every was three every. Years ago. 
So yeah. Yeah, every every like year, there's maybe one or two posts that like get a lot of action, and then people like so, site activity spikes mm -hmm. for like the two days after, and then it just. Dies. So what? Yeah. So what? You know, Umer, Umer, myself, Sile Dadu, um, Basim, Salim, all those guys. There's a chat um, going with uh, all the moderators. We were added as moderators, I think, in 2018, 2019. Umer, myself, um, yeah, something like that. Um, and so when we saw all of that, we really thought that we want to create a platform that people actually use and something that's um, what that will become so something more useful for newer members. Um, it's not really about the old people, you know, the older members of the circuit, even though their knowledge is very valuable, but a Facebook forum is more, is something more heavily, will be more heavily utilized. That was our prediction. It looked like that prediction actually came true. We don't know. We're in a special case because we're in a quarantine. Um, and that's why BTF is dead. However, the end of, key thing about Facebook is it removes the anonymity of BTF that really caused a lot of problems because I'm gonna tell you these trolls that are on there right now don't even compare to the trolls back in like 2010 2011 <laughs> like they don't even compare they're like not even as funny right oh, um, and man. even those trolls you kind yeah. of knew who those people were because they didn't keep it so secret because they were just like whatever about it um so at the end of the day Facebook is more of a platform that supports these types of groups and these types of communities and it has the, the it has the tools for us to put together a forum type atmosphere, and that's why BTF, you know, is dead because of these. Like Umar, you let it off because of these trolls, but I also think forum platforms in general are just out 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 of date now. Yeah, out of date. Yeah. That being said, I mean, there's now a Facebook group, and it's pretty popping. You should go join it. Just search BTF on Facebook, and it'll be probably the first or second. One thing, thing I have a recommendation you. is I do want more teams to uh, post their videos and ask for feedback. Uh, that was one of the key things in BTF. As I mentioned in the judges' call, uh, or judges' podcast, how we used to go on BTF and go to different performances and just provide his open feedback. And through that, he was able to practice his critiquing skills and also look at um, sets in a different light as a judging perspective, and it helped him out a lot. So I do recommend that more people do that. And if you have a worry that you're going to care what people think what you're going to say, um, you shouldn't because you should have enough confidence in yourself that you're able to provide valuable feedback. All right. So to switch gears a little bit, last episode we were talking about ADZ and how the judging issue led to a team getting first even though a bug fell off and looking at the scores later on, the judges really only had one to three points taken off of the bug. We saw that as a large issue. However, a lot of y'all, as we like noticed from some DDN comments, um, weren't really sure why. And we kind of just want to read a po or read a response, and we're gonna like try to help y'all understand where we're coming from, where a lot of people are coming from when we say how how we saw it was ridiculous. So um, this was from Simran from Mob, and so she said, "Great podcast. I think it's a great way for people such as myself to learn from those who have more experience in the circuit. I do have one question that I'm hoping someone on this page can answer." What role does a bug play in a Bhangra setting? I always hear how important it is in a performance, but no one explains why. As someone who practices Sikhism, I understand the importance of a bug with a Sikh identity and recognize that it should be respected under all circumstances, whether that be in a Bhangra setting or not. From my understanding, the reason we wear Vardhya that we do is because that was the traditional clothing worn in Punjab when Bhangra was founded. Many people in Punjab are Sikhs. Many Sikhs kept their hair, so a bug was a part of traditional Vardhi. As I stated before, a bug holds religious significance within Sikhism, so it should be respected under all circumstances. But 
Bhangra is not a sick dance. If a bug comes loose and is handled with respect by the dancer wearing it, then it is then is it fair to disqualify them from placing or winning? Teams with bugs unraveled and Thorless have fallen and have placed and even won in the past. It can also be argued that the dancing with unraveling bug is more disrespectful since the, that dancer prioritized finishing a performance rather than treating a religious article of faith with the respect of being worn properly. Where should the line be drawn and who decides that? One, first and foremost, I really appreciate you asking this question because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people generally don't like i mean this like the circuit is always getting new people and i think this needs to be more widely discussed because i think it's, it was just kind of an unspoken rule and there haven't been a lot of issues in the past four years like sid said in the last podcast so i'm really glad i, I really thank you for like asking this question and i'm gonna let Saad yeah so um take it away. yes i mean i appreciate the um thought that you put into this question um it is something that i have thought about myself being honest with you being a sick who was born in the United States. Um, so what I'm going to do, Simran, is I, I'm going to kind of take your question and take its component pieces and be able to answer them in the most structured and organized manner that I possibly can. So the first part of your question was, you asked what role does a, a bug play in a Bangladesh setting? So I'm going to preface my whole response with one, one statement. India is not like America, okay? Religion and culture are very much intertwined. I, I, and I, what I mean by that, and I'm going to elaborate on that, what, what I mean is the, the religion, like Sikhi, is very intertwined into the culture of Punjab, right? And it's just like that, like I, I always give this example of I'm, my mom watches these ETV serials. You can't go one episode without a reference to um, Hinduism in any way, right? I'm not, no, I'm going to say this is not in a bad or in a good sense. I'm just saying that's what it is, right? You can't go one episode of a serial or these, um, these um, soap operas without seeing anything like that. So you have to understand that that's the environment that Bangladesh was born in, okay? Um, so given that, the bug in the role of the Bangladesh setting, right, it's a very significant part of the male worthy, okay? Think about how much time is taken to put that bug on. It takes 15 minutes to tie the bug. Right at a minimum, uh, or if you're fast bug tire, probably slower than that, uh, or faster than that. But it takes time to tie a bug. When you look at a pangra dancer, a male pangra dancer specifically, the first thing or the image of that uniform that they're wearing is the bug. It's like the shine of pangra, right? It's like when you are, you know, when you are seeing a male pangra dancer, that uniform, that piece of the uniform that takes the most time and stands out the most is the bug. Correct. So think about it in that setting. Okay. So that that's the significance that that bug plays in the Bangladesh that setting. Okay. Now the the second part of your question now starts coming on to if a bug comes loose and is handled with respect by a dancer wearing it, then is it fair to disqualify them from placing? Okay. So this is a very valid question. Um, there have been situations, and I even know on my own team for Vila, this happened with uh, one of our dancers in our Boston. 2016 performance the bug had come off and we still placed in that competition so uh, the, the key part here is it fair to disqualify them from placing or winning i want to put this now because this is more of a judging question i want to put this in the context of judging now so when you talk about a bug coming off now preface what i just said earlier about the bug in the fungi setting how it takes so much time to tie how much like how much um, importance it holds in the male body, right? In the male uniform. So 
if the bug is going to come, if there, if that part comes off the vertebrae, wouldn't it be fair because of its significance in the uniform for it to give more maximum number of points for coming off, right? It would make more sense in that sense so that this, because this is more of a judging question about disqualifying and placing and winning and not about the cultural aspect, you have to think about it in that context because that's where the, how the question is asked. And the bug, when it comes off, it's you are going to give a larger amount of deduction points because of that significance it holds in the vertebrae. Now, there's a second part to this, is the impact that it has on a dancer. Now, uh, Simran, you know, in the in your original question, which was done through a Facebook comment, um, I posted a link to a video from Punjab, which was, I believe, what, I forgot what college it was. It was in Jalam, there was a competition where Pangada dancer is doing a kunda chal, where the kunda is on his, on his shoulders, okay? He pulls the kunda up, the bug falls off. His bug just pops off right there. It falls in front stage. The dancer then continued to dance through that. They didn't stop. They didn't go pick up the bug and they didn't go take it off the stage. That dancer was actually rewarded by the judge, not rewarded, but acknowledged by the judges by handling that situation with maturity because they didn't let it have a hiccup in their dance. Now the bug, because it was on the ground, it was the coach who uh, had the team went, ran, grabbed the bug and took it off. So it wasn't on the ground anymore because he was able to do that. Right. So the thing here is in a situation where your bug is potentially, you know, unraveling or something like that, you have to think about the impact that that will have on the dancer. OK. Uh, did it distract the dancer? Did they have to leave the stage because their bug is falling off? Right. Um, how thrown off were they? So when it comes to disqualifying, replacing and winning, you have to think about it. If, a, if the first and second place, like Umer mentioned, I believe in the last podcast, that first and second place is typically very close in most dance comp- competitions. So in that sense, if a fog is a five-point deduction, those five points are very significant. It can essentially take that team out of disqualification. Now, this is a judging perspective. This is important. Um, what is really important about this question is this is something you should ask judges in your judges call to get a different perspective on how those judges think. Very important because this is just one person's. This isn't an opinion. Okay, just want to preface that too. The next part is the last part of your question is it can also be argued that dancing with an unraveled bug is more disrespectful that the dancer prioritize finishing your performance rather than treating a religious article of faith with the respect of being more property. Where should a line be drawn, and who decides that? So, in the context of you finishing your performance, when your bug is unraveling. You dancing your bug unraveling is not a disrespect to it. It's just a poorly tied bug. And there's not it, it's there's no really like disrespect that's happening to that bug because it's unraveling or coming off and you're trying to dance through it. You have spent three to four months preparing for that performance and it's your responsibility to do as much as you possibly can to not allow that bug unraveling hurt your team. It's not a disrespect to the bug. Now, if the bug were to come off and it be kicked off stage, taken, thrown off stage, then that's a disrespect to the bug, right? That's a different thing. But that's the same concept behind a, a kunda or a sap. You don't kick a sap, you don't kick a kunda, you don't kick a gato, you don't, you don't do that stuff on stage. In that sense, your thrilla is unraveling, you're on stage, right? It is up to you to use your dancer IQ and what is the judges have said in that questionnaire that you have before every competition that they have to understand what you're supposed to do in that situation. So... If your thrilla is unraveling and you have to leave stage, right? You have to expect that there is going to be both a vertebrae malfunction point deduction and a cleanliness and team sync deduction because one of your dancers out of your 12 just stopped dancing. 
Now, give the example of this guy in India or uh, or one of our dancers on Fatile who had this happen. Their pug had come off. They didn't do any disrespect. They didn't kick it. Um, in the context of Fatile, they actually did like a mutta kick to the pug mid-performance and went going. You're going to see less of a deduction on... Um, on the points because they're not because a bug came off it's not you're doing a disrespect to it right you're you have to prioritize you do have to prioritize finishing your performance and it's kind of like you have to just do that with the sense of you do not want to disrespect the bug yeah so i do yeah, I, I do want to yeah. circle back to one thing just make sure you're emphasizing this properly um i think the main question everybody really wants to know is like why does a bug falling off mean a minus five? And I think like you kind of hit that, but I want you yeah, just like I can talk about that more. I know I kind of like I, I didn't really elaborate on the first point. So, mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier, the bug and its significance in the pangara setting is that it is the piece of vardhi that takes the longest to put put on. It's the piece of vardhi that has the most significance in the terms of the uniform that you're wearing. Okay, so. If your chadra is loose and it's kind of falling, right? That's that vardhi piece doesn't hold as much weight in the uniform as the fog does. The fog, uh, you know. Actually, that re that reminds me. Um, I think Sid. I think I was talking to Sid about this uh, earlier, and he, he made a really good example where it's like, yo, if somebody sees Sagar's underwear on stage, you like maybe take minus one off, like that. Like it's that's just like it's minus one. It just happens to flash up and down for the chadra. So I mean. If you're gonna take minus one for a bug falling off, you're basically e equating both of them. Like, but and obviously everybody knows that like a bug falling off is a much bigger, more noticeable, and egregious like vardi malfunction than a job that just like flashing up. And it, yeah, it's all that relativeness, you know. Uh, like Umar, that's what you're touching on. It's all the relativeness. Um, when you do that point deduction for a whole bug coming off, a dancer leaving stage, you know that. And the reason why I think this question came up or this thing that came up, why we were so shocked by it is because that judge ended up scoring that team 97 out of a hundred. So you're kind of, you're kind of, um, you're kind of in that context, you're saying that someone leaving the stage and then coming back on the stage doesn't have any impact to the performance when it should. Yep. It's, I, I, I want people to understand that the significance that has in the Vardhi is important you were spending so much time on it it's more than not even just the really and you kind of notice in my conversation i didn't really mention too much other than the preface with uh with you know culture and religion being intertwined in india that it's it's a uh, it's not really about okay bug is article of sick faith so then you can't finish your performance if the bug is coming up it's um it's it's not in your control at that point you know it's it's kind of like what you do there from there and if, as long as you're not doing an action that is disrespectful to it, like I just mentioned, then you're fine. And then on top of that, you have to also understand that that bug coming off can then have a domino effect of affecting the person's performance. For example, and in this case, it was the person leaving the stage, right? And it's just something that you have to understand that that major vardhi malfunction happens and it's going to have that impact on the performance. But it's not in any way trying to dance while your bug is coming off and trying to push through. It's not a disrespectful thing. And I did want to touch upon this point that um, the teams with bugs unraveled and Thurlow has fallen have placed and even won in the past. Um, it's very, actually very hard to find examples of teams that have major bug, yeah, major bug malfunctions winning competitions. Other, the, only, the only example you can really give is NJ Warriors. Um, like the, the bug was like the throw low was floppy everywhere. Like that's the only example I can really give. And um, like 
talking to Harjot, like Harjot, dude's been around forever. Harjot Hundle, right? Does not yes. know. Governor TV, Harjot Hundle, right? Yes, Harjot Hundle, G- GTV, yeah. Dude said he can't find, he does not know an example of a team getting first place after a bug falling off. So, I mean, like, I don't know. If that's. And I also, then we can point out how to. the dancer handled the situation. His, I mean, his his effect for that Thurla was flopping. It was just, a, you know, maybe it wasn't starched properly, maybe it wasn't pinned or whatever the way they were tying to Pogna that day. It just, you know, stuff happens when you're performing and getting ready. There's a lot going on. He didn't let it affect his performance, and that's why it was actually, you would get a less point deduction. So let's just say that dancer, you can see it on their face, they're scared. They're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out, right? It, but he wasn't. And this NJ, it's the performances of Natsu Giovanni Berg 2015. Um, yeah, the, he didn't let it affect his, his face, his performance, his nakra, his execution of moves. Yeah, he was moving the turla out of his face during the ending segment. But um, uh, like other than that, it's it's very important that this is not just isolated to Pangra is a, a bug is a sick article faith. You got to treat it with respect. You can't prioritize finishing a performance. It's You have to understand that that's the perspective that... Um, Th- that's not the Pangara perspective. And it's it's a uh, cut what I just said. That's going to get so much flack. Uh, I'm going to end it off with this. You know, It is not black and white. That's all I'm going to say. It's not black and white. Um, but it's important. What I just did was I, comp- I, going back to the judging rubric, is I compartmentalized an issue and saw its effect in different aspects of the performance. That's how you're supposed to think. Yeah. And and listen, I mean, I understand you might have more questions. Like, like hash it out. We can like we can talk about it more. Like, we'll post this on SoundCloud, Facebook, wherever. We can hash it out in the comments. We're gonna have a discussion about this. And like, you know who someone's very open to these questions? Hardeep Singh Sahorta, um, who is runs Royal Academy Pangra. Honestly, just DM him. I don't want to really say that. <laughs> I, honestly, he's very open. So, follow him on Instagram. He runs live sessions, um, especially during this quarantine, that where he's answering people's questions about these types of things. Okay, so the next question. Um, Umar, this is a question for you. And I think it's a great question for you because you do judge Bollywood fusion performances. Um, so the question was, it's a very simple one. Thoughts on Fungada segments in the DDN circuit? This was asked by, um, I'm going to probably butcher this name, Probi Chandelier or Sir, from Saratoga. So Probi, I think their name is Probi Chandelier. Or yeah, I don't know. But uh, Umar, thoughts on Fungada segments in the DDN circuit? I honestly, the biggest issue I really see with a lot of fusion um, bunger segments is just a clear lack of understanding of what each segment is supposed to be. Like, I'll see a lot of teams where they will put a pataka, a chaffa, a bertka, a jadusinga, a fomania, and some jumps all in one segment. Like, and maybe every now and then I'll see like three beats of jomer somehow because like the song slows down so they think jomer is appropriate. Like, no, it's not. Like, if you listen to Tol, and you are listening to like bowl beats, like every single beat instructs a step. And if you're switching bowl beats every three beats, every four beats to a different bowl beat, like there's no, it just doesn't make sense. And that's why a lot of these segments just don't have a lot of flow. That's my biggest issue with it. Is just beyond the fact, like just learn how to do the do the dance a little better and spend more time with it. Like I think that's the biggest choreographic issue is just that lack of flow and lack of understanding of the steps. And it doesn't take a lot to, it doesn't take a lot to get there. Honestly, just ask somebody, 
ask questions, pester people. Like, people in the Bhangra circuit are more than happy to help. I get questions all the time. I answer everybody. Maybe not as fast as I should, but I, <laughs> I get around to it eventually. Yeah. Um, I mean, Umar, what, I'm, what I, what I want to kind of highlight in what you said, and th- th- I'll say this, there are some really, okay, there are some really cool ideas that, that happen mm-hmm. in the DDN circuit. Mm-hmm. Like, very, very cool ideas. Like Spartan, like Badmash. I know Bhangra has a very like, dude, why are you talking about a fusion team right now? But Spartan Badmash from Bollywood America a couple years ago had a sick sub-segment. Sick yeah. sub-segment. It was a crazy cool. And um, they were doing sick concept. You can do a lot with uh, you can do a lot, but what the cool key thing here, and uh, kind of my perspective on this, is you need to understand if you're a Bollywood fusion dancer, you should be understanding whatever dance form you're putting on there. You need to be a student of that dance form, and if you aren't a student of the dance form and understand what it means or what it how it's how to construct that piece of choreography, then you shouldn't be implementing that because then you're doing a disservice and a disrespect to that dance form. This is not just Bhangra. This is uh, this is my opinion. That I, as someone who's, who's like, I always kind of say that I'm, I'm always trying to learn as much as I possibly can about anything, no matter how old I am, no matter how many years of experience I have, I'm always trying to learn more things. That, that's how you have to take that approach. And I, but I don't see that these Bollywood teams become students of Bhangra. And you have to do that if you're going to implement it into your dance. And also, like, listen, it is fine. If you guys just know you're not that good at Bhangra, just don't do it. Like, it's okay. You don't have to do it. Like, nothing makes me more flaccid than, like, a trash Bhangra segment. Like, it, it just brings me down so much. But yeah, like, that's fine, too. You don't have to do it. Six, if you, yeah. And I do also, and I, Umar, I'm going to just steal your thunder here. Stop stealing things, like, really blatantly. <laughs> um, like, uh, I, I, I've seen teams, like, they'll ask. This is the kind of the nice thing. Bio teams, you guys ask. Uh, you ask when you want to take steal stuff, but if you're gonna steal something, do it. Do something new with it. Like I- I'm always okay if someone's gonna take the Fatih Shing if they do something cool or new with it. Um, I'm not okay if you just put it in there to be a filler because that what that does that devalues something that's a trademark of my team, and you don't want to do that. That's how I'm. I want to end it there because I could talk for days about the Bollywood Bollywood circuit and the Bangla segments, but let's we should move on to the next question. Yeah. What are the key traits of a strong, long-lasting team? And what does this team culture look like? So this was asked by Prajit Narendran from IU. Dude, who the <laughs> fuck are you? Stratified squamous epithelium is literally yeah, the okay. handle. Uh, Bro- I don't know Bridget, where you're from. I tried to who the fuck are you, but he's talking about this next handle because no, 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 just sounded no, like you're like, who the you just like, you got it on Instagram, man. <laughs> no, no, no. And then Arushi Kotra from Tuscaloosa. So, Obama. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I can start off on responding on this one. Um, so I'm going to take it from, I'm going to break down this question and components. So what are the key traits of a strong, strong, last, long lasting team? Um, so in the leadership of a long lasting team, I'm going to talk about leadership first because it's, I believe it's the root of a great team. Uh, one of the key things is trust among your leaders and your leadership. And I, I'm going to give an example of how it worked really well in our, in Fertile. Um, so this is gonna be kind of new to some of the particular guys because we've probably never heard of this. But so we were choreographing our Kunda segment, or, or one of the captains was choreographing the Kunda segment for this year. For we went to two comps, ECS and Maj, right? I saw the Kunda segment and instinctively I was like, I don't like this. This is not gonna hit. It, it, it doesn't provide me anything. I don't like it. I don't want to see it. It's boring. It, 
it's slow the slow it's a slow startup i don't see how it's gonna like do well right now what i but what i if probably if you take me back my first couple years of captaining i would have right away shot that segment down and um put it down right i always said no the segment sucks i don't like it however i i said you know what let me see how this goes you know let's let me let me see what this turns into let me put the trust among the leaders because they are someone who's always looking for the best in the team or best for the team so they have some type of idea and i'm going to trust them and let them and let and not raise any doubts among team members because the second one leader says i don't like that it then starts going into other members minds okay so i kept that opinion to myself and actually our kunda segment got called out and then everything got built out and then we went and competed and our kunda segment got our kunda intro and segment got called out as being awesome and amazing so just by trusting those other my trust among the leaders even though i may have more experience than these people even though i might say i have double the amount of experience and i know what hits and doesn't hit and i judge bunga.com so by putting that trust in your among your leadership to know that they are going to do the right thing then that's how something great gets produced the other example i wanted to give is you know and i'm going to just say this that the leaders on your team you need to find what motivates each dancer and because each dancer is different it's not an individual thing where you know one thing is going to apply to every single dancer that that works for them um i've found that every person on our team um is motivated by something differently some of the younger guys are motivated by motivated by i want to be red jordy in the future Come on, like I want to be the best. Some of the older guys are motivated, but like, I want to dance with my friends. So put me as Jordy with one of my friends. You know, those things are those are the the battles that you have to do, and you have to strategically fight and actually work with to understand what your team and how it works and how 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 people work. And then I do think that among the group, the other thing is that it's patience. No group just comes together and becomes super best friends, and you can't force it because if you force it, it's not going to become natural. Like. It doesn't work like that. You have to allow your team's your team's personality to develop, but as a leader, you want to guide that personality to match your to match what your team's goals are. And I mean, yeah. so like, and I mean, so like, completely agree with everything yeah. you said, Sab. I mean, I mean, a lot of these things huge. are like basic leadership Trust. stuff, right? Like, not even just like for honestly, just dude, for, for anything, dude, dude, dude. Like, listen, the biggest thing I could say is like, go read some books on leadership. Like there are business books. Dale like Carnegie. there's like there's a huge, yeah, Dale, yeah, Dale Carnegie. That book. What is it like? How to how to make, how to make how to friends, make friends and, and influence people. And then there's another thing that starts with ten things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yo, read all those books. It might sound cheesy. You might get fun made fun of because people are like, oh, you need help making friends. I mean, yes, I do. But like, <laughs> self burn, self burn. <laughs> yeah, self burn. But. Um, the thing is, I mean, like, dude, those things help. Like, really, just like reading, read those things. Like, th like it's basic leadership. And the other thing, but the other thing I want to give on top of what Saab said is just lead by example. Like, listen, you want your team to eat healthy. You want your team to make vid practice videos outside of practice. You want them to like know the choreo very well before they come in, come on time, all that stuff. You better do it too. Like, there's no excuse for you. If if you want people to make practice videos, you make practice videos. You're the one who you, you start the gun. If you want everybody to eat healthy, everybody better be seeing you eat <laughs> quinoa, chicken, and vegetables at every practice. And, Is that what you, know, you did, man? And drink a shit ton of water. I'm not eating that shit in practice. If I ever dance, that's yeah, what you're doing. All right. <laughs>
<sighs> regardless, I mean, like, the, but that's the thing. Like, you set the tempo. The captain set the tempo. If you are lazy, everybody else is lazy. Everybody takes up the hints. And like, honestly, it's like the young dancers are usually the first people to pick it up. In my, in, from my experience, it's like captains lead, and then like the youngest, the newest people will pick up on that vibe, and then then it will be like the sophomores, then the juniors. Like that's how it works. So you really got to start there. Yeah, and then uh, one yeah. other thing is uh, uh, kind of on top of that. I mean, that's such a great, great point. Like we keep highlighting leadership because that leadership defines the culture. W- one thing on top of the leadership is to have a, the key straight trait of a long lasting team. And what does the cultures look like? Is it has a system behind it. Um, the example I'll give is CMU Funga has a very distinct system on how they run, and that's why they have been so long lasting and just consistent. They have a system behind the way they run. I know FCB has a system. I know I think I believe Fodge has a system on how they run their stuff. Um, a lot of these, I think that like a lot of these academies like NJ, they have a system, right? The people, the the worry that people have is. If you have a system, you, you're going to like weed people out, right? But it's very critical that you have a system to weed those people out. Any successful organization has a methodology and a system. That can mean how do you pick your dancers? How do you run your practices? That's, a, that's the key to success because it reduces variability. Variability causes problems. You want to reduce the amount of variability in your organization. And what I mean by that, there's variables you can't control, because and that's people. But you can control the systems. And if you can control the systems, you can weed out those individuals who won't feel culturally because I can tell you if you if you don't have that system and you just allow and you allow anybody on your team, it's not gonna work out for you. You should have that system and you if you don't have members that are gonna buy into that system, then your team is not gonna culturally look look right. And it took it took me a while to understand this concept, man. Like I, I didn't I didn't understand it probably till like maybe again this year or like like last year, like that. I mean, I had to take like a break, a break, a year break of fun to understand how to be a more appropriate leader because it's very important to have these aspects. And I, and um, if you follow these to a T, and then the last thing is, we keep going on about this, but I can talk about this for days. But always be in the student mindset. Always. You. What do you mean by that? You can never stop learning, no matter what. You okay. can never okay, stop okay, learning. Okay. I, I'm always trying to learn new things. And it, it always helps out because, number one, it controls your ego because you're never going to be the smartest person in the room. That's very important. I'm, it will make you potentially a better dancer, a potential leader. I mean, I learned things from my from the particular guys about like how to dance and choreography and all this stuff. People who are five, six years younger than me, they teach me new stuff. Um, so it's very important that you, you look at it from that light as well. So, yeah, so uh, next question. That was a great question. Um, the next one is, um, what is the process to grow your team from a lower-tier comps to the next level? How can mid-tier collegiate teams elevate to the next level? So this was actually a response. Um, this was a question that we got asked by many, many people. We just grouped them into what were the common terminology. Um, but Uma, I'll let you take it away for this for this one. Yeah. So, okay, listen, so as many of you might not know, but uh, my freshman year, I danced on a team known as Steel City Pungra. Um, They don't exist anymore. Um, but when I was on that team, I, I mean, beyond the just like straight up like dancing part, like I'm, I'm assuming if you're saying you're like a lower tier Pungra comp to a mid tier and like so on and so forth, I'm assuming to a certain extent that you can dance. Like you, you have the fundamentals relatively down. Maybe not like like fucking SPD, maybe not like independent team shit, but they're down. Like everybody knows how to dance. 
Saab has some things and like there are plenty of other things he's going to hit on. But for me, the biggest thing is you have to, have to, have to sweat the details. Listen, if looks aren't synced, if angles are not synced, if your approach to steps is different, like it, it's hard to like even give you points for anything else. Like that's the easiest thing to fix. And that's honestly sometimes one of the last things a lot of teams like fix is like sweat those details make sure those everybody knows what looks what angles like one thing fcb does a lot is like if a segment's just like not sinking right what we'll do is we'll run through the segments and everybody has to like shout out the angles at every single time so everybody's like 45 left square left. like every single beat we're shouting out all the angles so that it just gets ingrained in your head because once you do that like it just looks better it will look a lot better and the approach to dance what i mean by that is like, sometimes what I'll see is, like, first half of a set, like, um, this, everybody's, like, approaching the steps well, but then towards the end, as, like, energy starts to, like, kick it, like, starts to fade and stuff like that, people start doing their own thing. And then you'll see, like, I don't know, at the mall segment where, like, one dude is going absolutely buck, one person is just really not into it, another person's trying to be graceful. Like, everybody, there might be different levels to it, but at the same time, everybody needs to attack and approach every step the same. So, like, an end segment, you have to go a little hard. Jummer, and if you want it to be a very nice, graceful jummer, there better not be one guy being extremely aggressive with their footwork. Like, that kind of stuff. Everybody has to approach it the same. Everybody needs to have the same angles. Everybody needs to do that. You do. You sweat those little details, and that takes you a really long way. Yeah, those details. Uh, I mean, those details are what. Those are the little things that on a judge that a judge will appreciate. And when Umar said like reference, you know, you were saying like, okay, I have a diff. I have kind of a different take on this. I'm thinking about you know, you're like a team that went to a couple small collegiate comps. But you want to go to blowout and win. You want to go to potentially champs and make a statement. You want to go to a bigger a bigger comp and make a statement, right? These are the type. That's I believe where the question is kind of coming from. And there's two teams I can talk about that actually did this for a T. Those two teams are OSU Pangara and MBT. Um, so this is back in I think like 2015, 2016. Uh, I was captain of MBT. Um, OSU was uh, OSU kind of started like as a a small collegiate team, right? They we went to blow out, but they didn't really make too much of a statement. They went to blow out 2015. We were, as MBT, we actually were struggling to get into blowout. Um, but one judge, Kuntal, actually judged us at a comp, and he said, the thing that's going to take you to the next level is risk, pushing the envelopes, presenting something new, pick something and revolutionize it. Like, OSU did that with their dancing. Um, and the way they approach their set. So they went from being the smaller tier collegiate team. They went to Berg 2015. And they then really pushed the envelope with their dancing, right? In the way they approach their choreography. Now come the next next couple comps, they become more of a presence because they're pushing the envelope and they're doing something new with risk. I think they did new stuff with their jummer. They like uh, incorporated the props differently. Their sops, they did some stuff. Like they did a lot of new things. For us, for MBT, we were we were actually our first but the year before that, which was my junior year. We were doing what Umar was talking about, was sweating the details. Like that is you have to do that. If you don't do that, then this risk stuff is never gonna happen. So because it, it shows your understanding of the dance when you're able to sweat the details. Um, but then for us, it was kind of like okay, we gotta take our set and we gotta do something new with it. Like we gotta take our performance and do something new with it. So like come Buckeye 
I think it came Buckeye 2016. We did like this thing where we threw our Kunde and then dropped in the jaw. No one's done that before. We've seen teams throw the Kunde, but no one's like dropped right in the jaw. We um and then come blowout, we were like, we gotta run the risk. We gotta do the push the envelope. We do something crazy and break Donald Trump's face like through boxes <laughs> on the <laughs> stage. Yeah. Like we did something that, oh, that and bro, so that great. crowd reaction was like, holy shit! Oh, and then my right God. away, instinctively, yeah. you're doing something new. You're pushing the envelope. Teams and people will start recognizing you, and that's how you elevate yourself. So you sweat the details, and then you revolutionize. You you. It's kind of like there's a concept, right? And this is we. I'm always like to relate Bangladesh back to my professional life. Your first three years of anything, you're learning it the next three years you're perfecting it the 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 next and then the three years after that you're revolutionizing it and that's how you should approach anything now just take that and minimize that into four years of college and then apply the same thing. <laughs> dude I, th- I think one thing you really hit on is just like a lot of people and like fcb i think does this a lot too and we, we always like fight with this like where's the line where's the line but at some point we kind of like realize listen if you do, if we don't take the risk, if we don't make the changes, if we don't do the crazy shit, then we won't even place. So, what's the, like we might as well take the risk and go for first. Like sometimes the risk doesn't pay off, but like listen, if I'm a judge, I will appreciate. Like I again, every judges may judge differently depending on the rubric and everything, but I always appreciate risk. I'll always applaud the risk and like listen, it might not have worked, but you tried. So like even even if you're like the UNC flower that just falls so spectacularly like yo you tried it like I'm gonna give I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you props for that maybe I'm still gonna have to take off some points because it fell so spectacularly <laughs> but you tried you did something cool and you know that goal right. of like yeah those yeah just uh, ending that off is you tried something new you tried to take something that's yours and make or take something and make it yours if you think about those those elite teams a lot of them do that and that's one way it's a yo. very complex you know it's funny what i just said is a very yo, how complex. many gimmicks how many fcb gimmicks, yeah, how many fcb What's gimmicks up? have failed how many fcb gimmicks have failed all of them every single <laughs> thing, <bro. laughs> I, I, I mean everyone should go watch berg 2014 ending that's the funniest shit ever dude holy crap oh, oh my god what is, i don't know what was going on it's like okay this is a bunger up performance this is awesome and then i'm like dude why is there a guy shirtless on stage what the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah um but yeah that's a great question and i hope that um provides some help for uh people going to the next year hope given that we have bunger comps so the next question is uh what do you look for in a good bunger dancer from Zoeb Afridi, who goes to, I believe, G- JMU, which is uh, James Madison University. Um, so, yeah, what do you look for in a good Bhangra dancer? Yo, big thing for me, and it's solid fundamentals. Like, okay, when I'm saying good, I'm assuming, I'm interpreting the question as like a good dancer, not like an elite level dancer an elite dancer yo that's that's like all stage presence nakra like that it is those little tiny like details but for me a good dancer yo you're smiling all the time you look like you're having fun you have solid fundamentals your posture is good on barca um you're getting wide your legs are high you have mode if you don't have that not like literally nothing else matters and i think that's like one thing if you are trying to like get become a solid dancer like watch some people on youtube Find a dancer that you really like, that you really want to emulate. 
put that dance or put that video in front of um uh, in front of you put, get your get yourself yourself in front of a mirror and then replay that like five section like of how they did a jadu singa and then just do it in front of a mirror over and over again until you look like that dancer once you get those fundamentals down and you have that solid basis that's what i really think a good dancer is also like you can get through the set if you can't get through the set <laughs> i don't care about you Hey, bro, sometimes people struggle struggle okay sometimes people have a tough time getting through sets okay <laughs> okay then yo, like stop yeah, speak, not, speak a little bit from like... experience okay but um uh you know the uh from uh from my perspective i think about it in a team point of view uh if you're a good pangara dancer now i'm gonna go i'm gonna say some two points you're a good team pangara dancer and you're a good pangara dancer a good pangara dancer in one team may not necessarily be the best a great pangara dancer on another team um, because those teams have different distinct styles. Okay, so what I would say, if you're a good Bangar dancer on a team, you're gonna be able to suit. You're gonna be able to execute the style of Bangar that you were taught in an effective manner. Now, if you're just talking about base good Bangar dancer, in order to do that, you gotta understand Bangar beat. Like you gotta understand the styles that are being played on dole. You have to understand like why moves, how a move is done. Like I think Umar, you talked about this the approach to the move you have to really understand the approach to the move um and what that's going to end up show is going to show is your control of your dancing and your body and the maturity that you're able to present on stage that's for me what highlights a good bangra dancer and also a good team bangra dancer yeah cool, cool. So, well that is the end yeah. of the first mailbag podcast it was really a lot yeah. of fun um, yeah so uh, thank you everybody for tuning in for episode one of the Bungada podcast mailbag uh, so uh, be on the lookout for episode two